For those of you who are paying attention, you know that New Moon was sighted in Jerusalem Thursday night, I believe, which means that we are now in the month of Elul, which also means that we are now 39 days out from Yom Kippur. And what I want to talk to you about is preparation for Yom Kippur, which is 40 days from now. And by the way, it is my opinion, based on nothing, that this 40-day period is where the Sunday church get the 40 days of Lent, where they're preparing for the resurrection. Uh, The Jews are preparing for Yom Kippur. But this idea of a 40-day preparation period carried over from Judaism into Christianity. So, the sequence, and most of you know this, but I will go over it quickly. On the 15th of Nisan, Israel leaves Egypt. Fifty days later, they arrive at Sinai, and that's where they get the Ten Commandments. That's, of course, the Feast of Shavuot. So then Moshe goes up onto the mountain to be with God for 40 days. And unfortunately, while he's up there, we have the sin of the golden calf. So Moshe comes down, breaks the tablets, spends 40 days in the tent of meeting outside the camp. Then he goes back up on the mountain for 40 days to get the second set of tablets. And when he comes down from that second 40 days on the mountain, that's when God forgives Israel, and that's Yom Kippur. So the second trip Moshe makes up the mountain to get the second set of tablets begins on the first of Elul, which is where we are, actually where we were yesterday, but that's where we are right now. So, next part of this is rabbinic, but I like it very much. If you don't like it, ignore it, but I like it. The way the rabbis look at this period is you're basically preparing for a meeting. And it's a meeting that you're having with God. And so what you want to do is you want to spend this 40 days getting ready. Because any important meeting requires preparation. I mean, for those of you who are in the business world, you certainly wouldn't go into a big meeting without having prepared, without having done your homework, without having become ready to contribute your part or to lead or whatever you're supposed to do. So they look at this period as a time of preparation for an important meeting. And I think that's a good way to look at it. Your life has meaning. In other words, God made you for a purpose. You're not just random. And one of the things about life is we all get into routines. We all get lost in the details, if you will. We all sort of lose our focus. And since we are a liturgical church, we also get lost in the cycle of the week and the cycle of the year. In other words, my whole life is organized around Shabbat. So starting tomorrow, I'm going to be starting to get prepared for next Shabbat. And it's just cycle, Shabbat, 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 which is good. I'm not complaining, don't get me wrong. But you sort of get involved in the cycle and you lose track of the fact that there's a bigger picture. And what I would call that is cyclical time versus linear time or historical time. So as you're embracing the cycle, the Shabbat, the feasts, all of that kind of thing, you can lose track of the fact that this thing is advancing toward a goal. And that's what I call linear historical time. 
And what Yom Kippur does is it reorients you for a period of time from the cycles that we're all in to the fact that there is something progressing. We're going towards something. And of course, you've all read the New Testament and Revelation and so forth, and you recognize what we're going toward. But it's useful to periodically, once a year, focus on that. And the example I've used in the past, many of you know I used to be in the Army, and I spent a lot of time stumbling around in the woods in the dark. That was just part of the deal. And one of the things that was kind of neat is if you were doing it during a storm, every now and then you'd get this flash of lightning, and you'd be able to see. And you could look around and you could orient yourself, and you'd go, oh, okay, this is where I am. And then the lightning goes away and you step off in what you hope is the correct direction. Yom Kippur is like that flash of lightning. It's a time to look around, wake up, recognize that there's a direction to go in, and if you need to, you can reorient your steps so you're going in the right direction. That's the way I look at this time of the year. So, what you want to do is you want to prepare for that time. Now, one of the things that is true is God didn't make anybody perfect, certainly not me, and I don't expect any of the rest of you. Everybody comes into this world imperfect. Fallen creatures, short of the glory of God, however you want to describe it, everybody's that way. And the first step is salvation. That's when you come to recognize that you are in need of a Savior, you are in need of somebody to help you, God, and you come and you look to God and you say, I'm a sinner. I want to be in your kingdom. I don't want to be in the kingdom of death anymore. That's salvation. Big deal. But that's not the end of the journey. That is the beginning of a journey. And one of the things that unfortunately lots of members of the body of Messiah do is once they get the salvation, they sort of sit back and rest on their blessed assurance for the rest of their lives and they don't ever do anything else. And, you know, God bless them, but that's missing the point. What he wants you to do from there is, first off, he's got stuff that he made you for, stuff he wants you to do. I don't know what he wants you to do, but I'm sort of starting to figure out what he wants me to do. That's why I'm standing up here. So one of the things is figuring out what it is that he made you for, as opposed to what he made him for. And he didn't make any of us for the same thing, otherwise he wouldn't need two of us. One of the things that we all recognize is that we're weak and we're frail. And as I say, we fall short of what the glory of God is. But the thing to understand is he has given you everything that you need to get to where he wants you to be. Because if he sent you in here and he didn't give you what you need, that would be grossly unfair for him to look at you and say, oh, you failed, but I didn't give you the stuff you needed to succeed. So he has given you everything that you need to succeed. And the strengths that you have, and each of us have different strengths, the strengths that you have are sufficient to enable you to work on your weaknesses. 
So it is not the case that somebody is going to come down and tap you with fairy dust and all of a sudden you're going to be this perfect human being. No, you've got to work at it. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with figuring out what God wants you to do and moving in that path. Now let me give you some scripture. I'm in Second Peter. And I'm going to read starting in chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Remember I said he has given you everything that you need. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now one of the things I've been talking about the last few weeks is in Genesis, everything is made after its own kind. You know, the bugs and the birds and the plants and everything is all made after its own kind. The exception to that is us. It doesn't say we are made after our own kind. What it says is we are made in the image of God. So the goal here is, as Peter says, for us to become partakers of the divine nature, for us to become like God like Yeshua. That's the object of the exercise. And you got stuff you got to do in, in addition to that, but that's your goal. You want to become like him. And as I have said, he has given you all of the tools that you need to accomplish that. Now, nobody makes it all the way before we end this life, but you should be moving in that direction. And so what Peter does is he gives us a set of steps. And there are seven of them. Good biblical number, right? So let me keep reading. That you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. So here's the deal. Faith is the entry. That's the beginning. That's how you get into the kingdom, is through faith, not through works, not through anything else, but faith. You believe the promises, and you come to God, and you say, I want to be in your kingdom. I want you to be my king. That's the faith step, but that's your foundation. That's where Peter then steps off, and he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. There's a stair step there, and there are seven steps. From the ground floor, which is faith, there are then seven steps up. Verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, notice, this is stuff you got to do, and you should be increasing in this. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Yeshua Messiah. Remember, I said you have a purpose. God made you for a reason. And what Peter is saying is these seven steps, if you apply your life to them, will keep you from being unfruitful. That's the object of the exercise, right? 
For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And that's the people, I say, that once they said the sinner prayer and got salvation, they then go back on their blessed assurance and that's all they ever do. Those are people who have not worked at this next stage. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua Messiah. So let's look at these seven steps. Faith is the ground floor. Once you've done the faith thing, you are in the kingdom. So next one is virtue. And I would describe that as basically obeying the rules. Remember, one of the things that we teach over and over is the Torah, the law, the rules have nothing to do with salvation. God reached into Egypt, took Israel out without any help from them. That's salvation by grace. He then takes them through the Red Sea. That's baptism. He then takes them to the mountain where he gives them the Torah, the law. So the law is how does the saved behave? How do the saved live? That's the purpose of the law. It is not to get you saved. So virtue then is obeying the law, obeying the rules. That's sort of the next step up. Knowledge is the next one. That one's pretty obvious. I don't know any church in the world that says once you are saved, you should never read your Bible. Nobody says that. So the idea is once you have come into the kingdom of God, you then need to study the word of God. Acquire knowledge. The next one is self-control. And King Jimmy translates that as temperance. Both of those are good translations. So the idea then is what you do is you then turn from the things of the world that have entrapped you up to now. You exercise some self-control. You don't do all that stuff anymore. And again, that's a lifelong process, believe me. We all have problems periodically with temperance or self-control. The next one is steadfastness, patience, which means that you keep moving on the path that you have set your feet to. And it's the rest of your life. So that means that you got to keep moving. You can't give up. Godliness. And King Jimmy translates that as reverence or respect toward God. In other words, a relationship with the God that you serve. You have to maintain that relationship. You do that by prayer. And then brotherly affection or brotherly kindness. And that's gathering with the brethren, helping each other, taking care of each other, correcting each other, watching over each other. And then finally, love, or King Jimmy describes it as charity. And that's where the love of God flows through you like a river of living water as it is designed to do. So there's seven steps there from the base of faith. And what I will suggest to you is during these 40 days, you take a look at yourself and you see how you're doing on those steps. See how your life measures up to that standard. 
And then if it doesn't, which nobody does, or at least not perfectly, where it doesn't, then you start thinking of how you can move in a positive direction on the steps that you need work on. That's what this 40 days should be used for. Now, one of the things that happens in the world is the world complicates things. What it tries to do is it tries to suck you in to complexity and get you lost in the maze of figuring things out. The news is great about that. Random example. There are a thousand studies on this plague, uh, the Chinese flu. And they all contradict each other. And so you're trying to figure this stuff out and you can't find any reliable information because it's been made so complicated. What I'm suggesting is one of the things that you want to do as you're going through this 40 days is make a conscious effort to simplify. Cut away some of that underbrush so that when the lightning flash hits, you can see something and not have your face down in the weeds. And simplicity is a thing that will help you do that. The other thing that complexity does is it steals your joy because it gets you focused on the problem that you're trying to solve instead of focusing on the God whom you serve. And you should be doing that with joy. So the final thing I will suggest is one of the things that the Sunday church does which I think is a really good exercise. During their equivalent period, which is Lent, that's going up to the resurrection, they fast from something. And the goal of a fast is to focus you. I'm not suggesting that you go 40 days on water. You certainly can if you want to. It's been done. But pick something that is a distraction to you. Something that draws your attention away, draws you into the world and away from God. Pick something. Television. Facebook. Pick something. And fast from that for 40 days as an exercise in simplification. Because what you're doing is you're cutting yourself off from something, and I'll use Facebook as an example, Every time you reach over for the mouse to go to Facebook, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I'm not doing that. And it draws your attention back to what you're doing. That's the purpose of it. Is it sort of a a reminder because your habit is reach over there and I'm going to click. No, I'm not. And the reason I'm not is because I am focusing on what is going to happen 39 days from now. So, as you go these next 40 days, pay attention, pick something. Prepare yourself for the meeting. Because the meeting with God is one of the reasons why He created you. So, take some time and prepare. <laughs> 